Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Say, I am the church. Say it again, I am the church. Yeah, there was something else to come up there, though. I want to play the rest of that because we got to see this today. This is really important. It says, I am the church. So there's no need to attend a corporate gathering. Come on. You don't have to play it again, Heidi. It's all good. But, but you know, there's so many times that we say, I. Say, I. I. Say it with emphasis. I. I am the church. So there's no need for a corporate gathering. That's what I want to talk about today in this series called Out of Context. It's so easy sometimes to look at scriptural uh, verses and, and pluck those out of where they belong, and sometimes we take things out of context. Amen? Uh, how many have realized in your walk that sometimes you may have believed one way, you go down the road, you're like, whoa, I guess I don't believe that anymore. I believe something different. How many know that's okay? Yeah. I know it's part of the journey. You know, sometimes I think we, we can get a little scared of that. And so I'm hoping that in this series, we can help you be less scared of changes of changing beliefs. That doesn't mean you'd throw everything out. Uh, you know, there, there's a thing, there's a word going on right now called deconstruction. Has anyone heard this? And it, people are deconstructing their faith. I like to actually say rediscovering or reconstruction because you don't have to throw everything out. I have found that as you go through the journey, you think about this even in, in maybe a human being growing up, you know, you learn things along the way and then you relearn things in a better way, right? And so I believe it's the same thing with the spiritual journey. We don't have to stay locked in, but we also don't want to just throw everything out and lose our faith. That's one thing of beauty is when you keep Jesus in focus and right there in the journey with you, you may deconstruct for some ideas, but you'll reconstruct into even better ideas of how to live life and what it looks like to be a Christian, to be Christ-like, to be a follower of Jesus. And I'm just so excited uh, that I'm on this journey with Jesus. How about you? But there are people who literally believe that I am the church, and then they take it to this extreme and say, so there's no need to attend a corporate meeting. Uh, I've heard this before. Have you heard people say, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian? And, and I would say I agree with you. I mean, I know what they're saying, right? They're saying in order to be a follower of Jesus, I don't have to go to church but, you know, the other day I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, wait a minute. Christian means Christ-like, right? Did Jesus go to church? Yeah. So maybe being a Christian is going to church because it's Christ-like. I'm just saying. So maybe part of this equation is the church. And we're going to discover today how beautiful this is. But listen, I've heard this statement many times especially in our current state of affairs, you know, in society. And I understand that, that people are just, they're, they're tired of church. They're, they're finished with, they're just not interested in much of what has been considered the church. And just like I believe many times that we've maybe presented or painted the wrong picture of God, I think sometimes we presented uh, the wrong picture of what church is and what it looks like. Can I get an amen? amen. I would say I'm even in that group. I mean, I've been uh, serving and following Jesus since I was seven, you know, the ripe old age of seven. You know, I was in the drugs and alcohol and all that. Finally, I had this radical transformation. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I heard this comedian once say, you know, I grew up in church and, you know, just prayed the prayer and started following Jesus. And then I hear these testimonies, you know, these guys are on drugs and all this stuff, and these radical changes. Like, man, I wish I was hooked on crack. Anyway. 
He doesn't. It's a joke. But you know, at seven, I made that decision. I just felt something in my heart like, I believe Jesus is real. But through this journey of the last, I don't even know how many years anymore. I'll be 50 this year, so you do the math. But it's interesting how much Jesus has taken me on a journey. He's moved me in different ways, different shapes, different forms to where I am now. And guess what? I'm not ready to stop. I want to continue learning and growing into what it means to be a follower of Jesus. How about you? So again, I understand that people are tired of this whole idea of what we've maybe considered church. However, if, if we are talking about church from a scriptural viewpoint, let me say this, there is no I in church. Say that with me. There is no I in church. Yes, we individually are the temple. That Greek word is neos, which is inner sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. How many believe that? That's an individual uh, um, relationship. But at the same time, it's not just individual because I believe that the divine, the, the, the energy force, God, if you will, uh, isn't just connected to you or me. It's connected to all of us, which interconnects us. Think about that. But I do believe what scripture says, that we are the temple or inner sanctuary of Holy Spirit. But listen, we are not individually the church. That concept does not exist in scripture. In order to come up with this definition for the church, we would literally have to take scripture out of context because it doesn't exist. And for the record, I do believe in physically attending church. And we're going to talk about this today because there's such an importance, I believe, to this church connection. And it's not just because I'm a pastor and I want to see more people in more seats. It's not about that. I believe that church is valid. The body of Christ is valid. The connections that we make, the, the lifelong relationships that we're looking for, that's found in the church. It's found in the body of Christ. So just a little bit of history here and a little bit of idea as far as scripture is concerned. The word translated church in the Greek is the word ekklesia. Say ekklesia. Here's what it means. Called out ones. You notice it doesn't say one singular. It's ones plural. It's because it's a congregation. It's an assembly. It's all of us working together. And if you look all through the Old Testament, uh, this word in the Septuagint, which is just the Greek rendering of the, of the entire Bible, was, this was also consistent with the New Testament idea of ecclesia, meaning a group of people called together for a purpose. Say, I have a purpose. Say, we have a purpose. It's never used to describe an individual. If you look all through Scripture... You can't find anywhere where church is described as individual. It's always a group of individuals who have gathered together to make decisions as well as to worship together in whatever form that takes. Now, again, you know, we individually are the temple of Holy Spirit. I believe this, but we need to understand that the church is a group of individuals. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 8. He says this, For where two or three have gathered together in my name... What's he say? I am there in their midst. Now, I'll be honest with you. For years, I would read the scripture, and it would puzzle me. Because I thought, okay, so Jesus isn't with me unless I'm with, like, two or three people? I, I thought Jesus promised to never leave me, to never forsake me. I, I thought that the apostle Paul had preached on Mars Hill that in him we live, move, and have our being. 
So if that's true, why would Jesus say if two or three, just more than one, if you gather, I'm there in the midst of them, and then boom, it dawned on me one day. Think about this. When we gather together, his body is present. It's not Jesus saying, well, it's just one person. As soon as another person connects, then I'll come back. No, Jesus didn't go anywhere. But what I believe Jesus is saying, he says, when, when more than one, even two, when they meet, not individual, but a group of individuals, when they meet, my body is present. Because we corporately are the body of Christ. Think about this. It takes all of us together for the body of Christ to be present and revealed to this world. Just as Jesus, the incarnation, God in flesh, walked this earth over 2,000 years ago, he wants to embody his body, which is us together, to continue walking through this world, to bring salvation, to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring deliverance. How many can get on the page with that? And think about that. That means that you get to participate in the gospel message. You get to participate in this idea that God loves the whole world. That he didn't come to destroy or, or to, to take anyone away, but to bring them life and life more abundantly. This is the mission of Jesus, which means it's the mission of God. If, if you see Jesus do it or say it, then it's reflecting the heart of Father. Right? That's something that we have to see. And so again, that scripture puzzled me until it dawned on me, wait a minute. So when more than one individual, even two, even three get together, we are now the body of Christ demonstrating what Jesus looks like. There's some really cool history in this. You know, in many of the cultures in the East, especially the Hebrew culture, and how many know that we're connected to that Hebrew Jewish culture because Jesus was a Jew? Some people are like, he was? Yeah. That right there changed everything because then you'll start to see things through a different light, right? But in the East, in this culture... They worshipped in a synagogue. Has anyone ever heard this term? And so uh, the synagogue, do you realize this? In ancient culture, the synagogue wasn't a synagogue until there were at least 10 men present. So to them, it wasn't about individual. Now, I'm all about individual relationship. I'm all about connection. I'm all about, you know, sometimes that's where we start, right? Going, okay, God loves me. He cares for me. I'm connected to God. I, I, I house Holy Spirit. Whoa, this is amazing. Maybe, maybe I should do things differently. Maybe I should uh, change my thought process, you know, repentance. Maybe I should let that then change the way that I speak and my actions so they reflect who God is. That's beautiful. That, that's, that's a moment of revelation and awakening that we all need. But in this idea of church, this, this group of individuals who have awakened to their identity, awakened to their connection. It was seen the same way in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, with the synagogue. In fact, the word synagogue started out meaning the congregation or the people gathering. And by the time Jesus showed up on planet Earth, it had become the place where people would gather. It's kind of like the church today. If someone says, hey, I'm going to the church, or I'm going to church, what do we think? We think of the building on Main Street. But most of us as believers would also say, well, but, but we together are the church as well. It was the same with them. But I want us to, to really, we have to get this point today that church is just not a me and Jesus thing on our own. The church is corporate gathering. It's scriptural. 
It's important. In fact, it's necessary in order for the body of Christ, in order for Jesus to fully be revealed on this earth. So again, this isn't just about, you know, well, we would expect a pastor to preach something like this because he wants more butts in the seat. Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you, more people in the seats means uh, more like combined power to impact our community. So that's beautiful. But I don't want you to come to church because Pastor Andy wants you to. I don't want you to join corporate gathering because some man tells you to. How about Jesus instructs us to? And he says, I want my body to be revealed to this earth. So corporately and together, that's who you are. You are the church. And think about this. Jesus or Paul, they never preached against this idea of church, but instead they frequented this often. They went to synagogue. They, they went to a temple meeting. It was important to them. And I believe it should be important to us. Now, to be clear, this isn't about, you know, how you choose to gather or what you call it, right? I mean, whether it's a large building, we have some churches around here with large buildings. We have churches with smaller buildings, right? I mean, you could meet in the house. You could meet in someone's, in someone's basement, two or three gathered together. Guess what? That's church. Uh, you could meet in the storefront or a coffee house or, you know, uh, just a few weeks ago, the guys met in the bowling alley. We had church, Devin. We, we were rolling balls and getting gutters, but praise the Lord. We were having church. We were communing together. We were connected together. So a bowling alley, a gym, a restaurant, a bar, whatever it is, when two or more are gathering in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That is church. That is the corporate gathering. Now, you may say, that's great, Pastor. So what you're saying is that the church is not an individual, but it's a group of people. Cool. Now what? Well, the what is important. And hopefully today we've, we've begun to, as we talk about this for the next few minutes, we've established that the church is not an I, it's a we. The church is a corporate, collective group of individuals coming together with vision and with purpose. I was talking to a brother just yesterday about, about this, that you know we don't have to be in complete agreement to be on the journey together. And I love that scripture in the Old Testament that says, uh, it says, how can two walk together unless they agree? And I used to think, okay, so what that means is if we're in the same denomination, we can walk together. But think about how it's worded. It's saying, how can you walk together unless you agree? In other words, we don't have to agree on every facet of theology. We just have to agree that we're walking together. We're on this journey together. See, we've lost, for some reason, we've lost the art of communication, the art of debate, having an opinion back and forth, but then leaving the table still connected, still friends. People will unfriend people on social media or break off relationships because of who they voted for. What? Do we follow political systems or the kingdom of God? Now, have your political systems. You know, that's, that's outside of the kingdom, and there's nothing wrong with that. But listen, when you let those systems have you, and they take over, and they rule your thinking, and the way that you operate in life, uh-oh, red flag. This is about the kingdom of God. This is about Jesus. And this is something that, you know, this is really 
this is something that God's had to work on in my heart over the last several years to where I'm actually at the place now where I can sit at the table with anyone from any background, religious or, you know, unreligious, um, different theology, and, and be in disagreement, but still see them as a human being. You know what? Jesus was like that. In fact, he invited people to his table that even the religious groups are like, what? We don't associate with that people, those people, and that kind. And Jesus is like, huh, you guys must have forgotten kingdom. In fact, his message was repent, metanoia, change your mind. Why? The kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, it's within you, and you can't even see it. You're so wrapped up in your religious ideas and your political ideas and what you think is right and how they are wrong and us and them that you don't even see the kingdom right in front of you. Jesus had this beautiful, beautiful conversation in the dead of night. And this religious leader said, what must I do to inherit eternal life. I, I want to know what eternal life is about. I want to experience the best life here and now on this earth according to Torah. This is what they believed when they said eternal life. And then he started to speak about awakening to these things. And Jesus said, hmm, something's going on in you. Because in order to see what you're seeing, you must be born again. Now, I know that we've taken that in a, a Western evangelical idea and we've turned that into, you know, like we pray a prayer and you're born again. Well, I mean, that has, you know, some idea to it. But to a Jew, when they heard the word born again, it meant repentance. It meant you changed your mind. Often people would come in from maybe, uh, you know, as a Gentile, as a Greek, worshiping other gods, and they would convert to Judaism, and the rabbi would say, today you have become born again. In other words, you've changed the way that you think, and then now you've changed the trajectory of where you're going. Think about this. And Jesus says to this man, ah, a religious leader who knew what this term meant, he says, hmm, in order for you to see what you're seeing and even say what you're saying, ah, repentance is happening. You must be born again. Interesting way to see it. Because if you think about the whole ministry of Jesus was trying to get us to change our minds, to see things completely differently, then maybe we've seen them. And it was so hard for Jesus to break through to this religious idea or through this religious idea. So now we've established the idea of the what. What is church? Is it individual? No. Is it individuals? Yes. That's awesome. But besides that, guess what? The why is important. See, knowing the what the church is, is the first step. But the next step is understanding the why or why the church exists. Why do we even go to church? Why do we even have these corporate gatherings? What, I mean, I've got better things I could do, right? I mean, when football season comes, it's like there's a lot of pregame stuff that if I miss, I won't even understand what's going on in the game. I can't be at church, right? There's reasons to go to church, but we know, do we have the why? Do, do we personally have the why of why we do church? How many here have ever been to Disney World? How many have ever been to Disney World with their kids? Wow. How was that experience? Amazing. Whew, two of us. That's great. No. I remember years ago when, uh, when my middle son, Ethan, who's 18 now graduating, I can't believe it, 
but when he was just a little guy, we took a trip to Disney World. And at that time, he was really into Little Einsteins. Anyone familiar with Little Einsteins? I have not seen Little Einsteins in at least 12, 13 years, but I could probably sing the whole song to you right now. Because he would watch this thing every single day. The one thing he was religious about was watching Little Einsteins, okay? And so he would watch us every single day. And so we got our tickets and we we're all excited to, you know, go to Disney and experience this together. And then Kristen was looking up online and you could actually have breakfast with little Einsteins. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. So we planned this all out and we, we bought extra tickets above and beyond the park admission, right? Because we wanted him to experience little Einsteins, something that he loved to participate in and do and sing along with. And so we went into this breakfast that morning, pumped and ready. Now, let me ask you this. If I invited you to breakfast one morning and say we went out to, you know, the laundry or somewhere here local and we we're having breakfast together, but we sat down and as soon as you sat down, I got up and just roamed around the restaurant and just met everybody and occasionally came by and saw you. Would you think that that was having breakfast with me? That's the exact experience we had. Like we sat down and there were these little, well, they were big Einsteins because it was people in, we got you little kids here, in costumes, right? But they were just walking everywhere. And I kept thinking, man, I paid how much for them to have breakfast with us? And they're just walking around and roaming around. But you know what? We did it. Ethan loved it. What else did we do while we were at Disney World? We stood for two hours in line in 100-degree Florida humidity weather. You love it? Yeah. Hallelujah, brother. How do you stand? Let me ask you this, Morris. How do you stand and even walk around in 100-degree weather all day long and still gain weight at Disney World? I don't understand that. We stood in line for two hours so we could meet Mickey and Minnie Mouse, get pictures and get autographs. You know, I think about that, that moment, and there had to be a why. Why? Would I stand there in hot weather for two hours? Why would I pay extra to go to this special breakfast? Uh, why would I do these things? And the why was Ethan. I wanted Ethan to experience some joy and some fun and some enjoyment in his life. The why superseded me being uncomfortable me seeing as a as a you know a male how much money we were spending to go on this trip i mean because we do that right we're like we're paying how much extra okay cool and your wife looks at you with that look and you're like yep we're gonna do it hallelujah (laughs) but see ultimately why would we spend that money and spend that time and go through some uncomfortable moments the why was my son ethan i wanted him to experience something different in life i wanted to bring joy to his heart in that moment Think about this. Why do we go to work? Is it because you love it so much? Now, I'll say this. Some people, they go to work and they're like, I get paid to do this? Like, it's great when you can find a passion, right? But for most of us, if they were to say, hey, guys, you know, we're just looking for a little bit of a giving heart, more charitable heart. So we're asking that you you take a pay cut. In fact, this week, we're not going to pay any checks out. But will you come into work? You probably won't. Because the why for going to work is a paycheck. If someone said, why do you go to work? It's like, because they're going to pay me at the end of the week. Well, why the paycheck? Because i got bills to pay, and I've got money to save so I can go to Disney World, right? 
So this is the reason there's a why behind everything. But sometimes the why is not definitive. A lot of times, maybe it's not understood, and maybe it's a little bit blurry to us. And so I hope this morning, as we kind of bring this around, that I can bring a little more clarity to your why. Not my why, because I have a why of why I go to church, why I attend corporate gatherings, why I'm here this morning. But maybe you're looking for that why. I believe it's easy to take the concept of the church out of context and think that I am the church, so there's no need to attend a corporate gathering when we don't have the why we attend corporate gatherings, the why church exists. And I completely understand. I mean, let's be completely honest. The church as a whole has has done quite a bit since its inception to not be very Christ-like. I mean, we, we, we can go all through history and men with agendas have tacked the name of Jesus on things and did some really horrific things. People have manipulated and controlled people out of time and money. There's been spiritual abuse. I get all that. So let's, let's not pretend and sweep it under the rug. I, I understand that. But see, that's why we have to get back to the true meaning of what church is. See, those things that happened in history, Jesus wasn't attached to that, even if men tried to. The spiritual abuse that maybe some of you had suffered, the control, the manipulation, Jesus wasn't involved in that. That was men using his name. Can I get an amen? amen. But the body of Christ is a place where we seek refuge and we receive healing and hope and deliverance. That's what the church is all about. So I don't want any of those things or your experiences as much as they're extremely important. And maybe for some of us, we have to deal with those issues and, and, and release people and forgive people and move through the process and get healing. But through that, I don't want to keep us from community based on those things. And so maybe church has lost some of its luster. You know, maybe it's lost that captivating energy of the early church that would literally draw people in to something that, that honestly, it wasn't the best decision because you would lose family, you would lose friends. For some, it could mean certain death. Just by saying yes to Jesus, yes to the body of Christ, saying yes to the corporate gatherings, you could be in great danger. In fact, you could even face death. So we don't face that today. But I don't want any of the things that we've gone through or we've heard or we've seen on television or social media to keep us from this community that I believe can be so helpful. It can be so useful. It can be so relevant to our lives. And so I'm going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. We're just going to go through a couple verses here and try to find, try to maybe bring more clarity to your why. Why do I go to church? Why are these assemblings together? Why is this corporate gathering so important? We're going to break that down. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. It says, so let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Now, stop there for just a second before we go on. I want you to see something because sometimes... I've said this before, it's so easy to read scripture and just kind of glaze over what's really being said, right? If we look at the letters of Paul, if we look at even the writer of Hebrews here, which some scholars actually believe was a female, come on ladies, let me hear it, 
You know, it's really interesting. The first thing the writer does is establish your identity. Look at this. Let's do it full of belief, confident. Say confident. That we're presentable inside and out. See what the writer's doing? The writer's saying, okay, let's, let's clear the air right now. First of all, you're presentable inside and out. Keep a firm grip on the promises. That's what keeps us going. God always keeps his word. Now that we've got that figured out, look what he says next, or she says next. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. In other words, you're built for this. How many know this? You can't be encouraging and love and helping out unless you're with at least one other person. Isn't that awesome? I love how I said, let's see how inventive we can be. How many ways can we come up with to share love and to help out? Look at this. Not avoiding worship together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. So the question is, why go to church? Why attend corporate gatherings? I mean, why is this important? So look at verse 24. The writer says, let's see how inventive we can be. Now, in the New King James Version, it says, to consider one another. To fix your eyes and mind on. This is what the literal uh, translation would be. To think carefully on. In other words, we, we really, we're really thinking this thing through, right? This getting together, these corporate gatherings, this going to church thing, it's about others. It's about considering others, where they are in life. What are their needs? Where are they right now in this process, in this journey? What can I do to help? I think sometimes we don't go to church because we don't have a defined why. I mean, have you ever asked yourself that question, why am I here? Some of you this morning, even online, you're watching saying, yeah, why am I here again? Why am I doing this? Now, if I were to ask that question, which I'm not going to out loud this morning, say, why are you here? We get so many different answers, wouldn't we? Some might say, well, I needed a good word. I needed some encouragement. Others say, well, my friends are there. I wanted to see my friends this morning. Others might say, well, honestly, I felt obligated. Like, I just, I need to do this. <laughs> some of us, it's like, well, I worked in a department this morning, so I had to. I was on the schedule, Right? Which I've even heard people say, you know, it's good for me sometimes to put myself on a schedule and have that responsibility so I'll show up and not have an excuse not to. Wow. Okay. Some of you are just like, I don't know why I'm here today. I don't even know how I got here. Okay. <laughs> Wherever you are, I'm not saying any of these are bad reasons, but it lacks the real why. See, there must be a why to going to church or else we'll eventually find a why do I bother going. Does that make sense? So it says to consider one another. Why should we consider one another? It goes on to say in the King James Version, the New King James Version as well, in order to. In order to what? Now, in order to is just for all you, you English majors out there, is a primary preposition indicating our purpose. So something is going to follow this in order to. So we consider one another in order to, say number one, stir up love. Say that with me. Stir up love. Think about it. This, at least to me, from what I can see, is the central theme of the gospel. It was love 
that compelled God to send his son. We could even say send himself. Think about he, scripture tells us he loved us while we were yet sinners. In other words, he loved us while we were still lost. We didn't know who we were. We were orphans who didn't know who our family was. The apostle John says that we love because he first loved us. He goes on to say that perfect love or mature love, beginning to understand love of the Father, is what casts out fear. You see how much love's going on here in the gospel and in the scriptures? See, the benefits of God's love are infinite. You know, we put others first, we're kind, we aren't rude or boastful. The list goes on and on and on. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He describes love. Think about this, when love is stirred up, the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So many times we see this as a list we must do rather than realizing it's something that's already within that we need to stir up and discover. It's already there. Look at the person next to you and say, it's already there. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. It's already there. And then he goes on to say in verse 13 of his first letter to the Corinthians, he says, and now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. The central message is love. In fact, the message translation says it so beautifully. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do. Sorry, three things to do. To do to lead us toward consummation. Listen to this. Trust steadily in God. That's faith. Hope unswervingly. That's hope. And I love how he writes this. Love extravagantly. It's one thing to say, I love you. It's another thing to show it in action extravagantly. In fact, that's one of those words we just, because the English language, listen, I speak English. That's my first and second and third language, English. Is, you know, I still don't speak it very good. You, you English majors pick that up. Should be well, I understand. But the word love, like in the Greek or the Hebrew, other languages, especially ancient languages, there's so many different levels and ways. And this love we're talking about is agape love. It's God love. It's extravagant. It's unconditional. There's nothing I can do to change God's love for me. There's nothing. Which in turn, it moves me to a place of repentance where I don't want to do and be what I used to do and be. I want to be who God's called me to be. It's his love that moves me to that. It's not the, the fear of God striking me down. It's the love of God that's so huge that I can't even measure it. That's so beautiful. And what's he going on to say? And the best of the three is love. So why do we consider one another in order to stir up love? Here's another reason to assemble together and to consider one another. another. Number two, stir up good works. Say that with me. Stir up good works. Now, listen, do you notice how the apostles like to use this word stir up? I think that's really interesting because what they're saying is that it's already there. Stir it up. How many like yogurt? How many like the, the pre-mixed gelatinous kind? Maybe. 
How many like the fruit at the bottom kind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you open that up, I mean, the label says fruit at the bottom, right? But you open it up and you look at it and it's like, it's white. There's nothing there. What do you got to do to get that fruit to the top? Stir it up. When you stir it up, does it magically appear? Or has it always been there? It's always been there. What do we do? We stir it up. Why? So we can begin to reveal the goodness within. See, it's the same thing with us. If you look at yourself, because we do this, right? We look in the mirror, we're checking every hair, oh, what happened there? And we, oh, another zit. I mean, all those things we do. And then sometimes we go deeper, we look into all the actions. We think we're a sum total of our actions, especially the bad ones. Uh, how many know it's easier to focus on the bad things you do than maybe the good that you do? Come on, all of us deal with that. But how often do we say, you know what? There's some goodness. There's some fruit on the bottom there. Fruit of the Spirit's there. Let's begin to stir it up. The apostles are saying that we consider one another. In these corporate gatherings, we come together. We're together in relationship so we can not just stir up love, we can stir up good works. It's already in you. Look at the person next to you. I'll make you do it again. Say, it's already in you. Stir it up. Now, a lot of times, depending on you know, what theological camp we've come from, uh, we get a little scared with this idea of work or works, right? For some people, it's kind of become a dirty word, like, I don't have to, I don't have to do anything anymore. I mean, Jesus did it all. Well, there's some truth to that in that you don't have to use self-effort to do things to prove yourself so God will somehow give you love or bless you. He's already done that. He's given you all things for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. Done deal. It's already there. Stir it up. But sometimes we get scared of that. We're like, well, I shouldn't have to work. Well, listen, good works aren't bad. The question is, what's your motivation? If you're doing it out of self-effort, or you're doing it to impress God or others, or you feel obligated, or you're doing it under fear, then there's a problem. That should be a red flag. I say this all the time, that we should never do good works or anything for God or others out of obligation. It should always be out of inspiration. And that's what the love of God does. That's why we stir up that love, because it inspires us to do Good works. See, good works are a result of discovering who we are. And, and I say this quite often, but once we know who we are, then there's a really good chance we'll know what to do. But you have to know who you are first in order to do what you do. It just follows suit. So God made us to live a life of good works. And now, again, there's a difference between trying to do works through self-effort or to do good works through God's grace. Amen? but this should be a natural outflow of who we are. Look at this in Ephesians. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, instead, we are God's accomplishment. Some translations say masterpiece. Say, I'm a masterpiece. Look at this. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good things. You were created to do good things. You were created to do good works. Look at God planned for these good things to be the way that we live out our lives. I, I love uh, one translation says that he had already planned for these things beforehand. It's already done. Before you even knew it existed, it existed. So just like that little cup of yogurt, let's stir it up. Those good works are within us. See, gathering together with other believers, it spurs good works because it exposes us to the truth of who we are. And so why do we consider one another? In order to stir up good works. Number three, say number three. 
Now, there's so many. We could be here for hours, but I didn't plan on that. So number three is our last point. Number three, we actually attend corporate gatherings. We consider one another in order to exhort one another. Say exhort one another. Now, stop for a second and think about how positive all of this is that we've been talking about. How positive this going to church experience should be. You see, unfortunately, I think many have experienced the exact opposite of this. Have you ever gone to church? Don't, don't raise your hand. But have you ever gone to church? You're excited to go, but you leave feeling worse than when you first walked in? I had a friend of mine who was going to a church, and he said, we finally had to find a different church. I'm like, why? He's like, man, every time it came out, I was like, well, I feel like I just got saved again. Because every service was all about how bad you are and how you don't measure up. Now, again, that's a certain theology that's come around in the last you know, few hundred years. It wasn't necessarily the way the early church thought. But if we've been taught something since we were young, we just think that's how it's always been, right? And so, so often people come out feeling worse than when they walked in. I mean, messages are full of all the things that you aren't doing right. Uh, how you don't measure up, how much God doesn't like you, I think we've missed the point. How about you? Because the word exhort means this in the original language, to encourage, to strengthen, to comfort, to instruct, to teach. See, I believe this with my whole heart, that church should always leave you feeling encouraged, strengthened, and comforted. See, I believe that is what brings us to a place of repentance. Repentance isn't someone feared you or made you feel bad enough that you groveled at an altar at church on a Sunday morning. That's not what repentance means. In fact, I've been studying that a little deeper, and I'm like, like that word repentance in the original language, it carries so much goodness in it. See, so often we've looked at repentance as a bad thing. But when you begin to change your mind and you begin to see yourself as God does, and even the Hebrew idea of repentance is to turn, right? Completely the other way and go a different direction. Well, listen, when you change your mind, it all starts with thinking, guess what you're going to do? You're going to turn and go a different direction. What do I say all the time? We can read scripture as a threat or a promise. See, I see this as a promise that repentance transpires. The kindness of the Lord draws us to repentance. It's his kindness and his goodness that make us start to go, hmm, maybe there's something really good about this that I've never seen before. That's why I've had friends who would say they're atheists. They don't even believe in God. But just spending a couple years together in relationship because I didn't think, well, it's us and them. And oh, they just said they don't believe in God. Like that's going to hurt God or me. They can believe what they want to believe. But instead I said, okay, I'm just going to be a friend. There's no agenda. There's no hidden motive. I'm not looking for a, another notch on my salvation belt to get them saved. By the way, you don't save anyone. Holy Spirit does. Come on. But it, but it brought me to this place where you just hang with people and, and eventually they'll ask questions and they'll want to know a little more about this faith that you have. And I remember telling the gospel message about, for God so loved the world that he gave himself, that he desires a relationship with every single person on planet earth, that he wants you to grow to this, this maturity level of seeing who you are. And you know what he says? He goes, uh, I've never heard it like that before. 
Well, of course not. Because we were convinced somehow that we got to tell people how dirty, rotten, and filthy they are, and then they'll make the change. But I found something that when you do that to people, if you do get a change, sometimes it's an outward change, but nothing happens inward. Fear can cause us to do that, can it? But see, love has a way of softening and changing a heart. And when you make a decision to follow Jesus out of love, I would say 9.99999 times out of 10, you're going to stick with it because it's real. It's genuine. It's built on love. It's built on this relational, uh, on this love relationship where you know that God is not going to leave you. He's not looking for ways to kick you out of the family. In fact, he wants you to discover who you truly are. You are his. It's beautiful. And I think this, when we, when we teach correctly, even when we have teaching that brings us correction or discipline, we should leave feeling uplifted, not condemned. And let me say something. This is really bold, and you can just say, let's not even say it's Holy Spirit, just say it's Pastor Andy, so you, won't get, you can be offended at me. Listen, I want you, honestly, to run from teaching that condemns, that rejects, and that guilt you. Run from it. No place in your life. Discipline and correction are never easy, right? Come on, how many are like when somebody calls you out in the carpet, a good, good friend who, you know, you know their heart, and, and even though you know their heart and they love you, when they call you out, you're like, man, thank you so much. This is great. Of course not. But when you know that they love you and care for you, you receive that. It's not easy. You swallow hard and say, you're right. I'm operating outside of my God-given identity. That's not who I am. But listen, even though discipline and correction are never easy, it should never leave you in a state of self-loathing where you feel like you're not good enough and you're unworthy. Why? Because let me tell you this right now. As a son and daughter of God, you are righteous, you are holy, you are pleasing, and you are acceptable to God. You have to see yourself that way. And I know that sometimes we make decisions outside of our true identity. And when we do, man, we just, we feel godly remorse. But do not let that turn into condemnation and fear and shame and guilt. That's the creation story. Adam and Eve, they sinned, but rather than run to God, they ran away from God. But even in the midst of that, God pursued them. And even in the midst of covering their shame, they never came to a place of repentance. They never changed their mind. They still believed that God wasn't for them. They still believed in this false identity. And they went into this world and up to the place where Jesus had to come and say, wake up, right? Repent, change your mind. The kingdom of God is within you. This is who you've always been called to be, but you need to awaken to it. Listen, you don't operate or benefit from anything unless you believe it. That's why it takes faith, right? To believe that it's true, what God says about you. So again, that's who we are. We're righteous, we're holy, we're pleasing, we're acceptable. So get used to it, right? Get proper perspective. Begin to understand your true identity in Christ. So church is a place where we exhort one another. I love this. In Thessalonians, uh, Apostle Paul says this, so speak encouraging words to one another. Say encouraging words. Some of us need to work on that. That's practice, right? Let's speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be together in this. No one left out. No one left behind. 
Look what he says. I know you're already doing this, but just keep on doing it. Let me ask you a question. Can you be encouraged too much? I mean, really. Do you ever go, okay, man, your encouragement is just getting, it's, it's nauseating at this point. Stop encouraging me. No, most of us are like, could someone just like back me up and encourage me at some point in life, right? Because people are all going through their stuff and it's so hard to see that others are going through their stuff and to take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, you have gifted me, you have strengthened me to get past what I'm going through and to encourage someone else with my words. And guess what? You can't do that unless you're in a corporate gathering, can you? That doesn't just mean here on a Sunday morning. That could be at the bowling alley. It could be in a small group. It could be hanging out at the restaurant. It could be having coffee, you know, at the coffee shop. Whatever it may be, where two or more are gathered together, the body of Christ is revealed. It's so important that we participate in this. I want to end up in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 5. It says, each one of us has one body with many members. And these members do not all have the same function. That's kind of cool, right? Look at this. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And I love this last statement. Thanks, Apostle Paul. This is a great reminder. And each member belongs to all the others. We belong to one another. Come on, look at the person next to you last time today and say, we belong to one another. So think about it. Church is a place to belong, to be rightly placed in specific position with the purpose because we're all needed. We're all necessary. But again, just to take away, number one, there's no I in church. I mean, even if you look at the word C-H-U-R-C-H, there's no I in there, right? There's no I in church. But number two, our why matters. I hope today maybe this has brought some clarity to you. Clarity to your why. Why do we attend corporate gatherings? We attend for many reasons, but some of those include to stir up love, to stir up good works, and to exhort one another. I think that these are awesome reasons to assemble together. I think these are awesome reasons to go to church. How about you? Will you stand with me? I don't know about you, Pete's probably in the same boat. Whenever I say assemble together, I think of Avengers. Avengers, assemble. Body of Christ, assemble. Man, Marvel's got nothing on the body of Christ. Come on, somebody. I know that in their own way, they try to bring hope to the world, but man, we have the true hope, Jesus Christ. We have what the world needs. And think about this. Maybe the world has what they need as well. They just don't know yet. Come on. That would have changed your idea around. Because for some of us, if we're not careful, some of us, <laughs> you ever been in the situation and there's someone at work that just grinds your gears and gets under your skin and you're like, I'm not going to tell them about Jesus. Oh. <laughs> See, that's not kingdom, is it? In fact, what happens as you begin to get this, this heart, the same heart that Father God has toward us, you begin to see that people grind your gears and they act the way they act because they're broken and they're hurting. And I know in the midst of those moments, you know, if you're being hurt or you're being bullied or you're being taken advantage of, you're like, I'm really trying to see that. Help me, Holy Spirit. But what they really need is a change of heart, which begins with a change of mind, repentance. And maybe, just maybe, you're the vehicle of change. Because guess what? The kingdom of God is within you. Amen? Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Oh, man. Speechless. We thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much that we can be in a place where we even have these this revelation and these ideas of how good you are. Because we even have brothers and sisters in Christ who don't. But it's something that we don't want to keep for ourselves. We want the whole world to know about your love and your acceptance. Listen, we know that the change will take place. Man, Jesus, every time that you hung with people, that you, that you had any time with a person, individual, a group, because you accepted them where they were, change transpired. It's inevitable. Your love changes hearts. And I pray that we would get that same heart that you have for this world, that you were willing to show up on planet Earth and show us your love, even to the extent of dying on a cross. I love that saying, that picture I saw years ago with Jesus on the cross, his arms spread out, and he says, I love you this much. And so we receive that love, and maybe for some of us this morning, it's something foreign. It's something we don't understand. Maybe it's something new. I pray that we begin to, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, begin to measure that love, to experience that love. And as it changes our hearts, it begins to change our hearts toward others. The most important thing for us is to see our true identity in you. Say this with me, Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. It's so sufficient. It's more than I'd ever need. And say this, mean this, say, I receive your love. I receive your grace. I receive your healing. You've already provided it. But I choose to believe and I choose to receive what you've already done. It's mine. I own it. And Holy Spirit, if there's any area in my heart where I'm believing a lie, where I'm not seeing truth about who I am, Jesus, I give you permission. Bring healing virtue into those areas of my life. I receive your truth about me. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.